Okay, let's talk uh, EMCO. Sounds like a, a band, doesn't it? Um, the enhanced movement control order was imposed on several localities in Kuala Lumpur and Mukim in Selangor after Selangor recorded an average of 1,800 to 1,900 cases daily, while Kuala Lumpur uh, have between 600 to 1,000 cases daily. So, Sharad, what's the difference with the EMCO that we didn't have with the MCO? First off, it needs to be said that you can't stop a virus using roadblocks and barbed wire. And and that lockdowns uh, were only ever intended to be a temporary measure. So yes, uh, MCOs and all the iterations of MCOs with the prefix E, F, whatever, uh, have become a kind of bewildering uh, alphabet soup for most Malaysians because the SOPs that are related to each of these categories constantly change. I can't honestly say um, I know all the differences. I mean, there are many websites that try to help you negotiate this. But the idea is that you tighten controls over the movement of people. And I think what we're seeing now, after six months of an emergency that was supposed to bring the pandemic under control, but hasn't, and uh, movement control orders that uh, were supposed to also ease the burden on the health system, but haven't. There's something really inadequate about the way we are going about this. Okay, so looking at the numbers, a large number of the cases are from factories. So how does the EMCO address that particular issue? Yeah, so for over a year now, we've known that there are particular um, situations that could create clusters. Factories definitely because of the way in which factory production is organized, but so are prisons. And very early on, it was uh, suggested by many experts around the world and locally as well, that something had to be done with the way in which uh, the SOPs were put in place for uh, work situations. Uh, And, you know, um, they said they were. uh, And now there seems to be a dispute as to whether factories do or do not contribute a significant number of clusters or infections. But at the end of the day, uh, we have a situation where the prison uh, clusters are not being addressed. The decongestion of prisons, which was suggested over a year ago, was not acted upon. So we have this real problem where we know what we need to do is that not doing what has become best practice uh, around the world. So your guess is as good as mine about what should be done with the factories at this point in time. We're on to vaccines with this one. Um, Malaysia thanks the United States for donating one million doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine. The doses are from an initial batch of 80 million US-made vaccines the Biden administration pledged last month to share globally amidst concern about the disparity in vaccination rates between advanced and developing nations. Shrad, tell us about the huge disparities between vaccination rates in advanced uh, versus developing nations. Well, even some uh, advanced nations have, have been very slow to uh, vaccinate and for a number of reasons Japan I think has been uh, quite slow Um, Australia if you consider Australia advanced uh, has also been pretty slow but having said that part of the problem is what is generally termed vaccine nationalism and vaccine nationalism interestingly uh, often comes out of democratic uh, countries right where democratic governments they had to be seen to be 
first prioritizing their own population because otherwise the population is not going to vote for them. And then the other thing is their own sort of liberal outlook, right? So they have these progressive liberal values, which suggest that they should share with the world and do what is right. Um, they seem to be erring on the side of uh, keeping themselves in power. So uh, we have had all kinds of rather uh, problematic scenarios, um, and in you know, and in this extraordinary situation, uh, that's driven the disparities in terms of uh, who gets and you know gets the vaccine and when and uh, and so on and so forth. The problem is at the end of the day, globally. There is going to be a problem for Europe or America if it doesn't help the rest of the world catch up with them in terms of vaccination. Everybody's protected when everybody, as it were, is vaccinated. In your opinion, why, why do you think this move is important for the US and then how does it impact us? We've gotten, uh, you know, vaccines from the COVAX facility. We've, you know, now, you know, I think Japan's also uh, donated uh, vaccines to us. I mean, it's, it's soft power, right? China does it. China's been very good about donating and distributing or selling uh, vaccines to third world countries. I mean, it's part of, you know, soft power. They, they get kudos for, for helping others, right? And so this is a great policy in, in terms of, you know, reaching out and creating a, a good impression. World politics. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's four years of Donald Trump when, you know, so the, the ugliest uh, image of America emerged, right? It's selfish, self-centered, because all nations are in many ways, um, you know, self-interested, national interests, Trump's any other type of interest. But, you know, we also recognize that sometimes we can't do it alone. And big nations might forget that. Smaller nations never forget the fact that they can't go it alone. And so uh, Malaysia being a small to medium-sized power, yeah, we need the world to help us. Uh, we need to help our neighbors as well. This one's uh, about a fine. So a four-kilometer drive to pick up provisions has resulted in a restaurant in Kuala Lumpur being slapped with a 5,000 ringgit fine for breaching movement control rules. Two workers at the restaurant in Tamantun, Dr. Ismail, had gone to an Indian grocery store in the nearby Kayuara neighborhood to stock up for the week ahead and were stopped by police on the way back. Now, Sharad, this recent case, in your opinion, what went wrong here, if at all? So that's interesting. I thought that the rule was 10 kilometers. But then there's also a district border. Right. So, so this is sort of possibly KL and Selangor. Is that the problem here? I, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. Aware. So, you know, because we live such integrated lives, I mean, who knows where the borders are? So the, the question is whether the enforcement officers have any discretion. People have been fined for extraordinary and what's extraordinarily minor uh, violations. But then you think to yourself, why is it? Because putting aside politicians and celebrities, uh, ordinary people are subjected to these extraordinary and in many cases, what would have been economically debilitating fines. Mm. Uh, you know, if you remember the burger seller that was slapped at 50,000 yes. yeah. fines. So I, I, I personally don't understand why we uh, continue to have these cases. Uh, again, is it because the enforcement officers do not have a discretion and cannot sort of say, well, okay, this is what you've done wrong uh, and please don't do it again? Is this about changing people's behavior? If you want to change behavior, then you have to take a very different approach. And you see that in some countries. Not all countries are better than Malaysia, some are worse, but you know, why can't we learn from the best? 
I mean, I think also in this case, it's sort of like, it, it seems to me kind of confusing because is it because they crossed the borders? I mean, maybe it wasn't so apparent because it's only four kilometers. You think it's just down the road. You may not think, oh, but that's in a different state or district. Yeah, I mean, what actually you're, you're describing is a very different attitude, right? And, and I think th- these uh, rules are first extraordinarily arbitrary. I mean, why 10 kilometers, not nine, not 11, not whatever. Uh, Making sense of the real geography of people's lives. I mean, do we live our lives according to the mukim in which we live? Again, a bewildering and heavy-handed blunt tool used uh, in what is a very complex public health situation. We all live terrified that we're going to accidentally step across an invisible line. Okay, the Special Committee on COVID-19 Vaccine Supply, or JKJAV, has refuted a viral message circulating online which claims that there was or is a method to get a quicker appointment for a COVID-19 vaccination. So let's address the delays. Why have some experienced delays in getting their appointments? I I believe uh, some of the issues relate to the system itself, right? So there's been quite a bit of criticism about the back end of uh, the MySajatra app uh, and what it's doing because, you know, you have any number of cases reported in social media of people living in Sabah and getting, a, you know, um, an appointment in Pasigudang, Johor. There is perhaps one issue uh, that we can, or one lesson we can draw from this is transparency in all these data collecting systems. And so if we take this attitude that problems can be solved if we share and be, uh, we're transparent, I think we'll be okay. Also to what you're saying also is a sort of the expectation that people are completely familiar with the idea of beta testing. And this is, you know, where uh, making it better as we go. Yes, there's glitches. I mean, JD's had um, glitches with it. You know, my family has as well. And it's not so much that there were the glitches. It was like, okay, well, what are the workarounds? How are we improving the system? And I think that that, you know, speaks volumes to what the people are willing to kind of put up with in the hopes that we we then build the best system for us versus institutions feeling that they need to get it right off the bat. Yeah, I mean, I actually had very good experience because they responded to my query when we discovered what the pain point. So my 88-year-old aunt, it was a, a miscategorization of what had happened to her. And so I had to put it out there on Twitter. They mm-hmm. I explained, they checked it. So, um, and it was all very simple. They had listed her as unwell when in fact she wasn't unwell and only had missed the appointment because she had already taken a flu jab. It's a small problem, but it's difficult to reclassify. So why do we have a system that doesn't allow easy reclassification? Mm. Like you said, yeah, I mean, you know, no issue around things not being perfect from the start and needing to be tweaked. But if you're open and you're transparent and if you share information, then everybody can help you, you know, Mm. and there are a lot of smart people in uh, Malaysia. So Thailand's welcomed its first quarantine-free tourist back to the island of Phuket as the country tries to reboot its tourism industry. A holiday, it seems so far away with the Klang Valley under EMCO. Uh, But what does Thailand opening up its borders mean for us here in Malaysia, do you think? Well, I think it has to be mentioned that of the list of 66 nations, um, that includes Myanmar, uh, Malaysia is not one of those 66. So that's very telling about how we are perceived in the world uh, by and uh, by a neighbor, actually. I think with Phuket, the idea was to vaccinate the local population as much as possible uh, and then, you know, uh, allow for um, 
tourist arrivals without quarantine because you you put a quarantine demand on a on a holiday i mean basically you destroy the logic of holidays right and i think uh, there's even this uh, locally floated idea of doing it with langkawi but you know maybe it's the future of tourism that sort of these little pockets where you can be relatively safe so i believe the thai government and just reading from reports they they intend to start with phuket and slowly move uh, out right so it is a kind of a strategy uh, right. it is an exit plan so this is the exit plan that we were all were hoping with the recovery plan that the administration had produced which isn't really a recovery plan so much as a reiteration as as one expert on our show considered this uh, said it's just different versions of mcos laid back to back right the larger question and for countries like say australia where there was this belief in uh, something called zero covid the idea that you could eliminate and i think there was a new, probably a new zealand thing as well is that sustainable new zealand maybe you know it's lot of the rings country isn't it it's sort of out there <laughs> you know surrounded by millions of miles of uh, ocean but can you do it in a country like malaysia mm. and is it even desirable and australia is suffering the consequence of fortress australia So what do you think Thailand's doing then um that we could put into practice to kickstart our dying tourism industry To be honest this is an experiment the 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 problem is that vaccines don't prevent infections totally right they do eliminate say severe covid I mean the disease but they don't stop the virus from spreading so the question is uh okay you can still have imported viruses but would it be at such a level that it would be um manageable this is a disease that's going to stay with us but we'll be able to manage it because its rate of transmission will be slow and people won't be getting as sick so there'll be no pressure on the health system as it was said mm. a year and a half ago not entirely sure that anybody's got it right but countries are having this conversation we haven't had that conversation yet